Well, like my wife said, my name is Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome you all to the South Suburban Vineyard. Welcome especially to anybody who's visiting with us for the very first time this Sunday. We're so glad to have you with us. Um, also, special welcome to anybody who's listening to us uh, through our website or through our uh, podcast on iTunes. You are also welcome to come and worship with us here on Sunday mornings at the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Well, happy Mother's Day this morning. I'll say that again. Happy Mother's Day to all you mothers and soon-to-be mothers. It's a fantastic day to be in the house of the Lord, and I am just so pleased to be here uh, on this Mother's Day. I, I, um, I forgot, actually, to call my mother. I didn't want to wake up when I woke up this morning, but I got to call my mother and just wish her a happy Mother's Day and go over and see her because it's so fantastic to have a fantastic mother, and I certainly do have one. And some of you, I realize that Mother's Day rolls around and you didn't have necessarily, you didn't necessarily have a fantastic upbringing or you don't ha- necessarily have a fantastic uh, experience growing up with your mother. But I encourage you today on this Mother's Day to reach out to your mother. And if, if you can't say anything nice, just thank her for giving you life and thank her for bringing you into this world and being your biological mother. Find something nice and something encouraging to say to your earthly mother because she is a gift from God. I have the great privilege on this Mother's Day to continue a sermon series that we've been working through, a sermon series that we've simply been calling Marriage, Relationships, and the Family. Marriage, Relationships, and the Family. And the the, the series was designed specifically to deal with all of those components of our relational life, Uh, dealing with the most important um, components of that, like our marriages, our family structures, particularly our relationships and things like that. And the logic with this series is that we believe that your family structure, the parents to which you were born, the relationships to which you were part of as you grew up, had such a dynamic impact on who you are today and who you will be in the future. In other words, to get marriage and relationships and family right has a profound positive impact on who you will be in your life. And because this is such an important thing, we decided to devote uh, weeks and weeks to this so we can examine each component of marriage relationships, particularly the family. And we've said each and every week at the outset of each of these messages that this whole series is designed to cause you to work on you. This isn't ammunition that you can use for somebody else. We're not pumping you up full of information so you can go and fix somebody else. Rather, we're informing you, we're equipping you to work on you. When we look at the scriptures, we see God commanding us to work on ourselves. He's not telling us to fix somebody else. He's giving us information. He's giving us his Holy Spirit, as we talked about last week, to deal with our own issues, to work on us. And today, I think it's only fitting on this fantastic Mother's Day that we focus on one of the most important jobs in all of the world. President, that's an important position. Fantastic. Very important. And any job that you can name, um, is, is, I'm, sure, I'm sure you have real reasons of saying that's the most important thing in the world. But I'm going to focus you in on one of the most important jobs in the whole world, one of the most underrated positions, and one of the uh, sort of least paying positions in all of the world, and that is the job of the mother. Backbone of families, the one who's responsible for, for shaping the lives of young, impressionable youth. Today we focus on the job of being a mother. And from my vantage point, God really got it right when he decided to give us all mothers. He really put his thinking cap on that day when he decided that, you know, I'm going to give each child a mother. 
I'm going to make this system of parenting include somebody that's tenderhearted, somebody that's loving, somebody that's supposed to nurture this child. God really got it right when he decided to do that. And regardless of what you, your own personal experience was, you can probably agree with me when I say that mothers in general just have a very special place in our hearts, don't they? Mothers, and you can find the roughest, toughest, most tattooed person in the whole world. Biker, doesn't shower, anything. He might have a mom tattoo somewhere. <laughs> you know, he might sort of melt when his mom holds him or his mom hands him a plate of cookies on the holiday. It doesn't matter who you are. And I think this is largely true. As I was growing up, uh, we, 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 uh, one of our favorite pastimes uh, at home and even at school with our friends, were, we, were, we would talk about one, in, one another. And it was different words for us. Sometimes we'd say, you know, playing the dozens, right? Um, but, you know, we would talk about each other. We would say the, some of the meanest stuff to our friends, and they would just sort of laugh it off. But every now and then, somebody would cross that line, and they would talk about somebody else's mama. And I don't know if you grew up how I grew up, but that was, you just didn't do that. You didn't do that. All of a sudden, you're joking, and everybody's having fun. You're riffing on one another, and then somebody says something about your mother. It's like the record stops, or just like everybody pauses, and the dude will say something like, man, you better keep my mama's mouth, name out of your mouth, or don't talk about my mom. And it would just get really tense. And I've, also, I've often seen it break out into a fight because that it was just such a big deal to violate or to disrespect someone's mother because mothers are just, they just hold a very important place in our hearts. I think specifically about myself growing up. That's my, myself down there in the corner. My twin sister, that's my twin sister. She was always much taller than me. And that's my lovely uh, mother. Back there, I have another picture um, of my, uh, that was my college graduation, where my mother said, and I, I, I was putting this slideshow together and I just started to tear up a little bit because that's one of my favorite people in the whole world. One of my favorite people in the whole world. I know you thought you had the best mother in the whole world, but I think I have the best mother in the whole world. God uh, just handcrafted this woman to be exactly what I need as I was needed as I was growing up. And I just remember her being very hands-on, not in the negative sort of nagging way, very hands-on uh, as I was a child growing up. I also remember her being very hands-off in my adult life. She was never one to pry or never one to get in my business. And that's so important to me as a married uh, man with my own family. So hands-off. She's such a godly woman. I think she's one of the most beautiful women in the world. She was such a straight shooting woman. Never heard somebody who can just shoot straight with you and cut you down in the most loving and constructive <laughs> ways possible. She, had it to, she has this as a science, a strong, confident, secure woman, just what I needed. The one of the most darling people to me in my whole life, my fantastic mother. And when I really look around, look around my whole life, I'm surrounded by fantastic mothers. I live with one. My beautiful wife is a fantastic woman, so, it's just so attractive to me how good of a mother she is. It's, just so, it's amazing to me as I watch her and I raise these children and just treat them with such tenderness and care. It's so fantastic. I have a fantastic mother-in-law. She's not here today. She's usually here. But I just have such a fantastic... I'm surrounded by great mothers. It's such a blessing. I'm also surrounded by a lot of mothers who, who need a little help in that department. 
And before you, before you think, well, is she, is she talking about me? Let's not go there for, for, for this morning. But I'm surrounded by people, and as I'm in the marketplace, as I'm in the store, as I go to drop my son off to school, as I'm just walking around in my life, I see a lot of mothers who need redirection. A lot of mothers who, though well-intentioned, are doing it very, very wrong. And I feel the need to speak to it this morning because motherhood is so awesome when we get it right. And for those of you who were raised uh, with a fantastic mother, it was a healthy, functional home, you know that the fruit of getting this right is absolutely amazing. But the downside to that is that it's tragic. It's absolutely tragic when we get it wrong. My fear is that more people are getting it wrong than are getting it right. So we go to God's word this morning to find out how to get it right. The truth is sin and brokenness that has invaded humanity has corrupted the most important job in the world. And that is the job of being a mother. A whole lot's messed up when mothers don't show up. A whole lot is messed up when mothers don't show up. So it's important that we look at God's word this morning. I've titled this message this morning, Distinguishing Marks of a Christian Mother. Distinguishing Marks of a Christian Mother. There's some things that you see, and just the second you see, you know exactly what it is. I remember as a kid going to the zoo, there was a lot of these exotic animals that I really had to read the, 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 the nameplate there to figure out what it was. Or if I couldn't read, I would ask, hey, what exactly is that? But there are a couple animals that I didn't need anybody to tell me anything about what that was. That had some distinguishing characteristics. I could spot that sucker from a mile away. The giraffe is one of them. That long neck. Listen, I don't care what you say. I don't care what that sign says. That's a giraffe. Zebra's the same way. There's no animal like it. That's some distinguishing marks on that thing. It's a zebra. And not to liken mothers to animals. I don't try to do that, you know, on purpose. But I'm saying there's some distinguishing marks of a Christian woman such that you can spot this woman from a mile away. Something very out front, something very uh, tangible about the marks of a Christian woman. And I want to look at that today. I want to use a passage in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And as we examine this passage, as we see this composite of a godly mother, I want you to ask yourself, ladies, do I have the marks of a Christian mother, of a godly mother, or do I have a lot of work to do? Do I have the marks of a Christian mother, of a godly mother, or do I have work to do? I want to tackle this subject, but I want to pray and invite the Lord's presence before I start. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for your truth. I thank you so much for the mothers that are represented in this room. I thank you, Lord, for the task that Uh, the the job that you've given mothers to raise us and to shape us into who we will be. Lord, I pray that you would open the scriptures today, Lord, to show us who you are and how we're supposed to be in this regard. And Lord, for those of us who struggle this morning in this area, Lord, I pray that you would bring peace and correction. And Lord, for those of us who are on the right path, Lord, I pray that you would give us strength and courage to stand. Lord, would you put power on these words this morning? Would you move the preacher out of the way this morning as we Look at your word this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're looking at 1 Samuel, started in chapter 1. We're going to read all the way through verse 28. It's kind of a long passage, but stay with me. It should be good. I'll start at verse 1. There was a man named Elkanah, Elkanah, who lived in Ramah in the region of Zuth. There's a lot of names in this one, so bear, bear with me. 
in the hill country of Ephraim. He was the son of Jeraham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, of Ephraim. Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Panina. Panina had children, but Hannah did not. Each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Heaven's armies at the tabernacle. The priests of the Lord at the time were the two sons, Eli. I'm sorry, were the two sons of Eli, Hopnius, Hopni and Phineas. On the days Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to Penina and each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion because the Lord had not given her any children. So Penina would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year, it was the same. Penina would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why be so downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than having ten sons? This guy doesn't get it. He doesn't have a clue. Verse 9, once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord, and she made this vow. O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime, and as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her, seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound, he thought she had been drinking. Must you come here drunk, he demanded? Throw away your wine. Oh, no, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I am very discouraged, and I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I am a wicked woman, for I have been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked him. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. Then she went back and began to eat again, and she was no longer sad. The entire family got up early the next morning and went to worship the Lord once more. Then they returned home to Ramah. When Elkanah slept with Hannah, the Lord remembered her plea, and in due time she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, I asked the Lord for him. Verse 21, the next year Elkanah and his family went on their annual trip to offer a sacrifice to the Lord, but Hannah did not go. She told her husband, wait until the boy is weaned, then I will take him to the tabernacle and leave him there with the Lord permanently. Whatever you think is best, Elkanah agreed. Stay here for now, and may the Lord keep you, excuse me, may the Lord help you keep your promises. So she stayed home and nursed the boy until he was weaned. When the child was weaned, Hannah took him to the tabernacle in Shallow. They bought along a three-year-old bull for the sacrifice and a basket of flour and some wine. After sacrificing the bull, they bought the boy to Eli. Sir, do you remember me? Hannah asked. I am the woman who stood here several years ago praying to the Lord. I asked the Lord to give me this boy, and he has granted my request. Now I am giving him to the Lord, and he will belong to the Lord his whole life. And they worshipped the Lord there. That was a mouthful. That was a very long passage. But let me just unpack it before we get started this morning. Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Penina. Hannah was barren. Um, and, and in other words, she could not have any children. But Elkanah's other wife uh, was very fertile. She had, she had many children. 
And this was a huge deal for Hannah, particularly in this culture. We've talked about uh, stories all the time in the Bible about women who cannot uh, have children. And the Bible says that a barren woman is never satisfied. She's always anxious. She's always angry. She's always upset because particularly in this culture, children represented blessings. Children, particularly sons, would carry on the family name. They would help with the family business. They would make sure the family life was sustained. And it was, a, it was you looked along very well if you had children. Well, the opposite was true if you did not have children. Many people thought that perhaps you had uh, offended God or somehow God had cursed you. So either way, whatever the case may be, Hannah was very sad. She was very depressed because she had no children. And this passage talks about an annual trip that they would make to go and to worship the Lord, to sacrifice and give, bring their gifts to the Lord. Well, this uh, especially brought out some anguish and pain in Hannah's life because uh, the husband would sort of give his uh, wives sort of gifts to sacrifice to the Lord based on the number of children that they had. Hannah, of course, having no children, she would always get the short end of the stick. And to make matters worse... Elkanah's other wife would always taunt her every single year on this trip, always sort of bring it before her and make her feel less uh, of a woman or less favored by God because she had no children, not to mention what perhaps went, went on in their home every single day as a result of this imbalance in children. And I think this is a particularly interesting story because it gives us a fantastic snapshot, frankly, an unusual snapshot of a godly mom. I think if we look closely at this story, as I intend to do, we see some distinguishing marks of a godly mother, in our case, a Christian mother. And, um, and the, first, the first thing I see is that uh, Hannah commits herself to God. In this one chapter, we can see that this woman was somebody who was committed to God. And I think that being committed to the Lord is a great necessity. I think it's square one for us. We want to try to get all the books and we want to get all the teaching series on how to be a mother or how to be a Christian or how to be a husband or how to do all these sort of things. And we skip over the main thing, right? And the main thing is what will we put on this earth to do? To commit ourselves, to devote ourselves to loving God, to worshiping God, not just in some sanctuary every Sunday, but with our lives. In short, God calls us to be dedicated, to be committed, to be set apart for him. And the very first distinguishing mark that we see in a godly mother that we see in this woman, Hannah, is that she had committed herself to the Lord. In other words, she was a God-fearing woman for real. She didn't just talk about it. She walked this out in her life, and that's abundantly clear for me to see in just a short passage. And what does it mean for us to be um, godly people, to commit ourselves to God? One of my colleagues put it plainly. He said, you need to have a thoroughly converted Christian mind. A thoroughly converted Christian mind. I'm pointing back to what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, where he says, listen, submit your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Let him change you by doing what? Changing your outfit, by changing the car you drive, by switching churches. Absolutely not. He said, let God change you by doing what? Changing the way you think. In other words, converting your mind, having thoroughly converted your mind. And when you have a thoroughly converted Christian mind, you see life through the lenses of God. 
You see life through the lenses of a Christian person. I see it's so sad. People come into the kingdom and give their life to Jesus, at least they say they do, but they never convert their mind. They never allow God to thoroughly convert their, their thinking. And listen, how you think controls how you act. How you think completely controls your worldview, politically, relationally, spiritually, and it certainly affects your most basic and your most important duties, namely, ladies, how you raise your children. And what I see with this woman, Hannah, when I look at her life, she had a thoroughly converted, godly mind. She saw life through the lenses of God. And I think this, when this happens uh, in, in a mother's life, it's very evident. It sort of oozes all over your children. It oozes all over the life, uh, your, the, the life that you live relationally. I think back to growing up, and this was very clear to me that my mother was a godly woman. It's very clear to me that she had a thoroughly converted Christian mind because it played out in every area of our life. It was very clear to me that my mother had devoted herself to the Lord. I say often that some of your children don't recognize you when you come to church. You're such a different person in here. You speak differently. You're much nicer than you are when you're at home and in other places. And they simply don't recognize you. But I'm happy to report that I grew up with a mother who was a Christian every single place that she went There was a time during the day, each day, where we were not allowed to go in the front room. And for those of you that didn't grow up with a front room, it's kind of like a living room. We call it the front room. Because my mother was in there on her knees praying loud. Praying loud. And you didn't want to be the one that went in there and she had to interrupt her prayer to deal with you. That room was off limits. And if you got close enough, you could hear mama saying your name because she was praying for us by name. Mama would often pray in the spirit. I'd hear her speaking in tongues, praying to God in her own prayer language. If you get close enough, you can hear Mama praying for our, our spouses, and we're just kids. She was praying for our spouses and who we would marry, praying that God would protect us from the evil one, praying that God would keep us, praying for my father and the church. Just went on every single day, every single day, down on her knees, on a raggedy couch, Praying. I tell you, that has an impact on a kid. It says something about that Christian mother. My mother, I saw her devoted her whole life to the Lord, lived sacrificially for the Lord. She understood that that was square one. Sacrificially with her time. Always doing something for the kingdom. Always doing for something for somebody else. Always doing something in the church. Sacrificed her treasure. We didn't have much money, but my mother was so generous. She always gave. She always tithed. She always devoted her life to to God. My mother was a true citizen of the kingdom in that she let the Bible really govern how she lived her life. It was so amazing to watch. It was unpleasant as as a child because there were a lot of things that we didn't get to do. And she disciplined us. She wasn't afraid to do that at all. But she was a citizen of the kingdom, and it was clear, I see with the clarity of hindsight, that the Bible, God's instruction, God's rule, had penetrated her life. She was a believer in that, and she was completely, wholly devoted 
to Jesus. And it so impacted me. It so shaped the way she raised us. It shaped the way she talked. It shaped her relationships. Every single thing started with her commitment, with her devotion to the Lord, and that's the first distinguishing mark of a Christian woman, a Christian mother. Especially played itself out in times of trouble where mother would run to the Lord. And I see this specifically happening in Hannah's life. Verse 9 said, once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. She turned to the Lord, her source, her strength, her God. Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord, and she made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. Now listen, let's tear apart that prayer, because this is very telling. This is very telling. Here is Hannah. She's reliving this moment that she lives perhaps every day where she's being taunted where she's being reminded by the circumstances, where she's being reminded by her husband's other wife that she's nothing, that she's less than her, that she's not blessed by God. She's feeling anxious. She's feeling angry. She's feeling sad. And where does she turn? She turns to her God. She turns to her God. And she prays, Lord, please take this from me. I know you can. Please heal me, Lord. I know you can. And not only that, Lord, if you give me a child... I promise to give him back to you. Not just in this sort of Christian figurative way that we said, Lord, everything I have is yours. No, she means this because her life belongs to the Lord. She means this because the Lord is her God, the giver of every good gift, the giver of all life, the God who will heal her body and restore her happiness and restore her joy. She's devoted herself to this God. She runs to him when she's in trouble, and she vows to give her son back to this God that she serves. Now, if that's not a thoroughly converted godly mind, I don't know what is. I don't know what is. And some of you have to ask yourself this question this morning. You mothers, have you allowed your mind to be thoroughly converted? Are you committed wholeheartedly to the Lord? And I don't want you to answer out loud because I want you to answer honestly. I look and look at your life. I can look at your relationships. I can look at what you value. I can look at the decisions you make and give you an accurate answer. But I want you to examine yourself this morning. Are you committed to the Lord? Do you have that distinguishing mark of, of of a godly mother? Or do you take your Jesus sort of a la carte? See, what am I doing this, 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 this Sunday? Listen, what, do I have something better to do other than go worship the Lord? Let's see, I, I, think, I think I have something better to do today. I just, I mean, the Christian stuff is fine, but, you know, listen, it's just, it doesn't take all of that. Is God number one in your life? Is he priority number one? If he's not, you're going to have a trouble being a, a true godly mother. You're going to have a difficult time raising your children the way that God intended them to be raised. Hannah runs to God, runs to her God in trouble, appeals to his goodness, appeals to his power, vows to give uh, her son back to him, and the Lord answers the prayer. 
Verse 19b says, Then they returned home to Ramah when Elkanai slept with Hannah. The Lord remembered her plea, and in due time she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, Samuel, for she said, I asked the Lord for him. So she appeals to God. He answers this prayer, and she, she, gives, she gives this boy a son. And as we travel through this passage, unpacking what it looks like to be a godly mother, a Christian mother, we see the next very necessary distinguishing mark of a Christian mother is that she commits her children to the Lord. What's the first step? She's committed herself to the Lord, which is the very first step. And what naturally flows out of that is that she commits her children to the Lord, a distinguishing mark of a godly Mother, the distinguishing mark of a Christian mother is that she devotes, I'm sorry, she devotes herself to her children. I'm very sorry. The second mark is that she devotes herself to her children. She commits herself to her children. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Verse 21 says, The next year, Elkanah and his family went on their annual trip to offer a sacrifice to the Lord, but Hannah did not go. She told her husband, wait until the boy is weaned. Then I will take him up to the tabernacle and leave him there with the Lord permanently. Whatever you think is best, Elkanah agreed. Stay here for now, and may the Lord help you keep your promise. So she stayed home and nursed the boy until he was weaned. When the child was weaned, Hannah took him to the tabernacle in Shiloh. They brought along a three-year-old bull for the sacrifice and a basket of flowers and wine, and they left the child there. Second step is she commits herself to her children. Now, you're trying to, probably trying to find that in this passage. What, what, do you, what do you get in that, preacher? You have to understand that this trip was very important to this woman. Each and every year before she'd made this trip, she'd been ridiculed. She'd been reminded of how uh, small she was, of how unblessed she was. So this was a fantastic opportunity for her to go walking along this route with her head held high, with her child in her arms, and to sort of redeem some of the face that she lost year after year after year. She, after all, she had a child now. She sort of rubbed this in the face of her husband's other wife, and this seemed like a natural thing to do. But instead, Hannah chose to do what was best for the child. Hannah chose to do what was best for the child. Hannah chose to do what was best for the child. And this is a very important point. This is a very important distinguishing mark of a godly woman is that she devotes herself, she commits herself to her children. And I feel the need to clarify this because I see a lot of mothers getting this wrong. I see a lot of parents getting this wrong. They feel that committing themselves to their children means doing what the, whatever, let the kids do whatever they want to do. Or just completely just uh, cradling this kid completely protect, protecting them from harm and fear and danger, particularly um, uh, protecting them from the consequences of their own actions, being at their child's beck and call. And that's not what it means to commit yourself to your child, particularly not in a godly sense. What it means to commit yourself to your child means you will do, as their guardian, as their parent, as their mother, what is best for them. I'll say it again. What it means to commit yourself to the child means to deny yourself, to die to yourself, to live sacrificially, and do what is best for the child. Now, Hannah would have gotten great pleasure out of walking through, you know, walking this road with her child. She would have felt very proud of doing that. But she decided that that wasn't what's best for this child. He wasn't weaned yet. What's she going to do? Take him to the tabernacle? Leave him with Eli? How is he going to get fed? 
That wasn't the best for him. But she decided to do that. Now let me just camp out here for a second. And let's examine what it means to be this godly mother that commits herself to her children, chooses, instead of doing what I want to do, I want to do what's best for this child. Part of that means um, that you discipline them. That you discipline them. You want to screw your kids up? Shield them from the consequences of their actions. Make sure all of their teachers know that they wouldn't do that. Well, Johnny said this, and Johnny said, well, Johnny wouldn't do that. Well, it probably was some other kid that was messing with him. What, what else was happening? Now, I grew up with a mother. She didn't, she didn't say, wait until your father came home. If she said that, she was referring to round two. <laughs> because she took seriously the responsibility to do what was best for me. And my mother was a very tender woman. And I know dispensing some of those spankings hurt her. Probably hurt her hand, but it hurt her feelings, I'm sure. But my mom was committed to do what was best for us. My mother went without. She went without so many things so that we can have stuff that we needed. My mother would be bent over the tub, washing clothes every night, the same clothes, so that we can have stuff to wear. What a stark contrast from some of the other younger mothers in the neighborhood who would just be fresh. I mean, knew everything. But the kids would just be tattered, wandering the streets all alone, doing their own thing. Not my mother, man. My mother saw to it that she took care of us first. She committed herself to us. She did what was best for us. She was present there with us as we were growing up. Now, I'm not speaking out against career moms. I'm not doing that at all. I mean, you just look at our family dynamic. But whether my mother was working or whether she was at home, she was present with us. She maximized the time that she had with us. She cared for us. She poured into us. And I see so many women, so many women sacrificing the most precious gift Sabotaging the features of their children in chase of what? A career? In chase of what? More money? Chasing some guy? And I submit to you today that if you follow the first step, if you commit yourself to the Lord, and you convert your mind thoroughly, you have a thoroughly converted Christian mind, then you will understand what it means to commit yourself uh, appropriately to your children, living sacrificially for them. Doing what it takes. My wife is a fantastic example. She would much rather be at home with our children right now as they grow up. But the dynamic of the church planting world and what I need to do and what we've chosen to do to get this, to get this, uh, to get this thing going means that she works while I stay home uh, with the children. And that's a sacrifice to her. She's, she's taking one for the team. She's doing what she needs to do. She's, and, and I have to, I just, I, as, as she comes home and she just sort of debriefs, and she sort of vents every other day or so. Um, no, that, that's, that's a joke. Every other day. So I, I just, I used to get very frustrated. I used to get very mad. I go, listen, this is, this is how it is. Let's just, let's just deal with it. But then the Lord spoke to me and said, listen, this is, this, she would much rather be at home. 
She would much rather be raising these kids, much be, rather be a stay-at-home, but she's taking one for the team because that's what's best for our family, and, and that's what it means for us to seek the kingdom with our lives right now. So this comes in dozens and dozens of different packages. It has dozens and dozens of different looks. Don't let anybody tell you that because you go to work, um, ladies, mothers, that you're disservicing your child. There's multiple different scenarios and tons of different ways to look at this. I'm just encouraging you, by the word of God, to live your life sacrificially, appropriately putting your children first, appropriately trying to figure out what God has called you to do in their lives. Because a godly mother, a Christian mother, one of its distinguishing marks is that she commits herself to her children. And it's your job to figure out what that looks like for you at your place and your station in life. It may mean that you may have to work less. It may mean that your, uh, the, 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 the quality of your lifestyle may have to decrease. Some of you, it may mean that you need to pick up some hours somewhere. It may mean that you need to go to bed later or get up earlier. But a godly mother commits herself through her children. She realized that her job is to love the Lord her God, to be ever changed by him, and to commit herself to shaping those lives that God has blessed her with. And only you have the responsibility of doing that. A godly woman commits herself to her children. And the last and very important step that I see here as I look at Hannah's story is she commits her children to the Lord. She commits her children to the Lord. Now, this is very important because it gets us back to the issue of stewardship. We talk about stewardship just about every couple of weeks. As a good steward, as a Christian steward, we understand that everything we've been given, everything that we have is a gift from God. Your car isn't your car. The Lord loaned you that just to get around in. Okay? Your house, the Lord loaned you that. That's on loan. You're a steward of that house. And the most precious thing that we've been loaned, friends, is our children. The most precious thing that we've been loaned is our children. The Lord says, listen, raise these kids for me. Raise these kids for me. Teach them for me. Instruct them for me. Why don't you hang on to these kids and steward them until I return? Walk with them through the various stages of their life. Help them understand who I am. Prepare them for the next stage of their life. Prepare them to be a good friend. Prepare them to be a good neighbor. Prepare them to be a good spouse. Prepare them to be a good student so they don't run their teacher crazy when they go to school. Steward these kids for me. But they're mine, the Lord says. And Hannah, a woman who had committed herself to the Lord, had committed herself to this child that was very, very hard to come by. She displays the final distinguishing mark, and that is she committed her children to the Lord. Verse 24 says, When the child was weaned, Hannah took him to the tabernacle in Shiloh. They brought along a three-year-old bull for the sacrifice and a basket of flour and some wine. After sacrificing the bull, they bought the boy Eli. Sir, do you remember me, Hannah asked. I am the woman who stood here several years ago praying to the Lord. I asked the Lord to give me this boy, and he has granted my request. Now I am giving him to the Lord, and he will belong to the Lord his whole life. And they worshiped the Lord there. Listen, can you imagine taking your little boy 
that you had weaned, that you had cuddled with, that he'd spoken to, that lay in your bosom as he slept. Can you imagine taking your little boy and say, listen, I'm dropping him off. At the, I'm, down, I'm taking him down to the vineyard. I'm going to drop him off so he can, he, he, can, he can serve the Lord there, so he can be raised as a priest, so he can be raised in the prophetic, so he can speak for the Lord. I'm going to take him and drop I can't imagine that. I can't imagine that. Every now and then I'm laying with my boys and I'm just snuggling with them and I'm just there sleeping and I'm just looking at them. I'm just adoring them. I'm just imagining what type of life they would be. I'm just so thankful for, for, for who, who they are and just, just sort of dreaming about their future. And then I just imagine something tragic happening and me being without them and it just, it just breaks my heart. That breaks my heart to consider being without these boys. And I got two of them. Breaks my heart. So when I look at Hannah, this woman who had dealt with this sort of rejection and she's dealt with this anguish, she's been without children all these years, and I just consider her just up and one day saying, listen, you know, okay, Lord, I made your promise. Time to take old Samuel down to the temple and leave him there. Some of us can relate to how difficult that might be, how painful that might be. But when I look at this story, she doesn't seem to, she doesn't seem to skip a beat. She didn't seem to be at all bothered by this. Now, I mean, the scriptures may just leave that out. But Hannah understood that this child was not hers. Instead, that he was the Lord. And let me tell you something, mothers. Committing your children to the Lord is one of the hardest things that you will ever do. Mainly because it's something that you have to do every day. When you rise from your bed in the morning, you have to Put, on, put it in your thinking that today I'm going to dedicate my child to the Lord. Today I'm going to raise this child. I'm going to instruct this child. I'm going to treat this child like he belongs to God, like he has a God-ordained future, or she has a God-ordained future that I have to shape and steward. So I have to deny myself. I have to deny some of my instincts. I have to not rely on my defaults. And I have to raise this child as if he's been committed, as if she's been committed to the Lord. And what Hannah did in the very literal sense is what God commands that we do in a figurative sense each and every day is that we commit our children, commit them to the Lord. And you say, preacher, what does that look like to commit them to the Lord? I could be here all day uh, explaining all the examples, but I think one of the most important ways that we can commit to the Lord is that we just, we, we're very deliberate about how we raise them. We're very deliberate about what we expose them to, the words that we speak to them, because they belong to God. If you read the book of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, you see that Samuel had a fantastic life. He was a fantastic person uh, in the kingdom of God. He anointed kings. He was the bearer of bad news to those who were not following the Lord. He did a lot of work in the kingdom of God. Guess where all of that started? Guess where all of that began? It began with his mama. It began because she decided, I'm not going to cut this boy's hair because this boy is special. I'm not going to cut this boy's hair because he's marked for greatness. He belongs to the Lord. I'm going to take this boy down to the tabernacle the moment he's weaned so that he can be instructed, so he can get ready for his future, so he can be bored into by the priest. 
so he can be instructed in the ways of the Lord, so he can learn to hear God's voice, so he can speak on his behalf. This boy does not belong to me, so I have to raise him accordingly. And I ask you this morning a very pointed question. How are you raising your children? Are you shaping them to be the athlete you want them to be? Are you running, you packing their schedule with all sorts of camps and programs because you want to shape them, you want them to do this, you want them to do ballet, you want them to turn them, turn them into this? Or have you asked the Lord, Lord, what, what future do you have for this child? What have you planned for this young man? What have you planned for this young woman? How can I help you raise this child? Man, I would love for my boys to be preachers. I would just, man, that would just make me walk two or three inches taller. My boys would be preachers. They would have some sort of job in the kingdom. That would make me so proud. And I have to fight everything within me to just want to steer them in that direction. You're going to be a preacher, boy, because you're like your daddy and like your granddaddy. What I have to do each and every day is say, Lord, how do you want me to raise this child? How do you want me to you know, raise these boys? And until he gives me something specific, there's plenty of guidelines in the scriptures for me to follow each and every day. So before they go to sleep at night, I climb into bed with them and I pray with them. Amen. I pray over my youngest boy, but my oldest boy, he's alert enough to talk back to me. I say, man, what do you, what, what do you, want, what do you want to pray for tonight, son? And he usually tells me what he wants to pray for. And sometimes he doesn't feel like it and he tries to get out of it. But no, we pray every night before we go to bed. And then I have him pray for me. Now, it's usually very short, and sometimes it's unintelligible, but what am I doing? I'm teaching the boy to communicate with God. I'm teaching him that it's important. Before we eat our food, son, lead us in a prayer. Why? Because that's impressive? No, because I want you to understand this. I'm training you. I'm teaching you. And there's some more non-spiritual things that we do. I demand that he's polite. And I demand that he treat adults with respect. I demand that he treat the other people around him with respect. I'm training this boy in the ways of the Lord. And there's some things that are really spiritual, like praying, and there's some things that are very practical, like listen, say please and thank you. He's committed to the Lord. And we're stewards of that. Say, so what's the big picture here, preacher? Listen, are you a godly mother or not? I guess the broader question is, do you want to be? Do you care or not? And some of you would look at Hannah's story. Some of you would just even look at the broader sort of distinguishing marks that we talked about today. You say, man, I'm so far from that. I'm so far from that. My relationship with the Lord is so half and so uncommitted that it's shameful. My Jesus is completely out of card. I'm just such a, you know, just such a half Christian. I take such a casual approach to God and godliness and the kingdom, and that's something you want to work on. That's something that you want to check at the door as you leave. Others of you say, you know what, I'm a very selfish person. I'm a very self-centered person. I haven't committed myself in appropriate measure to my children. I think about myself first, and I think about my children last. Or I'm not very committed to them in the ways that matter. I bought them all the latest toys. They stay fresh in the latest sneakers and clothing, but my time, I'm completely unavailable to them. I've chosen other things as important, and I just re I'm really not committed to my children the way the Lord wants me to be. 
And others of you would say, listen, I, I haven't dedicated my children to the Lord. I love them so much. I have the plan for how their future is going to work out. I, I know who I want them to marry, and I know that I want them to do this job and do this thing and do that thing. I haven't left any room for the Lord to say something different. I haven't committed them to the Lord. And friends, there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, but I tell you, you want to get those things in check today. You want to square those things away today. You want to deal with those issues today. Because it's an important job to be a mother. You're shaping the next generation. You're shaping the culture around you. You should be dispensing a little Christ into the world to make it better. For those of you who are struggling in this area, listen, there's no condemnation. There's hope and there's help. And Jesus offers us the answer if you want it. And some of you are here tonight excuse me, this morning, and you, you're on the right track. You're not perfect, but you're working these things out. You're moving uh, along the path, and you, you're trying very hard. And my prayer for you today is that God will give you strength and courage to continue to do that right. And you better believe that as a community, as a church, we're going to walk beside you, mothers. We're going to champion you along the way. We're going to say, good job, good job. We're going to support you. We're going to give you the resources. We're going to pray, undergird you in prayer. But at the same time, I want to challenge you to do the right thing and to be the right type of folks because this is very important. It's very important. So for all you mothers here today, I applaud you. All you would-be mothers, I pray for you and I pray your strength. And I encourage you to bear the distinguishing marks of a Christian mother because they, they are extremely important. They're vitally important to who God called us to be as parents. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the mothers that are represented here. I thank you for the would-be mothers. I thank you even, Lord, for those who aspire to be mothers. They haven't started their family yet, haven't even started planning their family yet, but they want to desperately get this right because it's important to you. It's important to the fabric of who we are as kingdom citizens, Lord. So I just pray for those of us who are struggling in this area, Lord, I just pray that you would bring hope. I pray that you would bring clarity. I pray that you would bring sight and vision, Lord. I pray that you would gently guide those who wish to have your help. Those, of who are those, those mothers here, Lord, who are struggling, Lord, I pray that you would just comfort them and gently remind them of your standard. Gently remind them that they need to devote themselves to you, that they need to devote themselves to their children and find, Lord, that they need to commit their children and give them back to you. Lord, that's our prayer this morning. We thank you in advance for all that you're going to do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.